on in. We got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Um, I wanted to say, do a quick little shout out. How many, uh, to everybody that came in and filled in uh, all the holes that were here around here in the children's ministry and everything last week. Like last week was our promotion Sunday. Feels like everybody came back. Everybody's back again, evidently this Sunday too. And uh, we had over 301 unique kids um, over in our children's ministry last Sunday. Uh, I say unique. Unique is not a description of their personality or anything. Unique means individual people and not being checked in twice and stuff like that. But um, uh, and so, so you guys were like going nuts, filling in class, filling in and, and helping out and volunteering and serving. And I just wanted to say thank you for that little perspective there, church. Like a few years back, there were 75 kids back there. There was 301 there yesterday. And so uh, we had another 70, go, uh, 70, 75-ish over in the student ministry. Uh, there was about 15 to 20 a few years back there. Uh, you guys are procreating and breeding them, bring them to the church, which is fun in many ways, and, and we're grateful for that. And so um, anyway, um, glad that you guys could do that. If you're newer to the church, you're kind of, uh, you've heard about the state, of the state of the church address. And honestly, this is a desire of, of mine to just simply communicate a little bit uh, about what's going on around here at the church. I do this about twice a year, uh, usually sometime at the end of January as we get back from Christmas break, and then sometime at the end of August, hence this week right here, uh, in an effort to be able to communicate and celebrate some things that God has been doing around here, and then to share a little bit of where he's taking us this next year together. And so I think this is a little bit more effective than an email or uh, something like that that nobody's going to read, and you get to hear some of the heart behind different things too. And so I'm going to begin a little bit with that, but that to say, church, there's a lot that we're celebrating around here. Um, if you were back here in January, you know we're still celebrating a little bit the fact that um, God has let us be debt-free church for the first time ever uh, very, very early, right? Um, and so if you guys were here in January, you heard that announcement. Staff, elders, people, like, we're, this is still a celebration. We were projected to be kind of hopefully be debt-free by December, or I'm sorry, uh, by the summer in July. And uh, that actually took place in January. Um, our heart on that is not to arbitrarily be debt-free or not. Our heart is to free up things that we'd be able to invest back into his kingdom uh, for the praise and glory of his name. And so you guys were coming a lot this past semester. You're looking in the bulletin and you're kind of going, whoa, like uh, giving has been fantastic. Uh, it was coming in larger than what we were projected to spend or even spent at all and that kind of stuff. And so... Um, and so just that's a testimony to the generosity of, of you guys and what God is doing in here. And I just want to just share some of the things that uh, we've been able to invest in largely as a response to the generosity that's going on around here. Uh, one of the things that you've heard me talk a lot about is counseling, right? This is a big thing that uh, we embrace here at the church. We, we don't run from it. We recognize and acknowledge there are men and women who've been gifted counselors in wisdom and discernment that are able to speak directly to situations that you may be set free and flourish in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We embrace that. We honor those gifts. Uh, we would like to come alongside you as a, as a church and support you. We understand that counseling can be an expensive endeavor, and we don't have those professional counselors on our staff, and we probably won't because it is so personalized. Um, however, we want to come alongside, and so we have been supporting uh, a number of families, a number of singles and individuals in our church body who have been going and seeing counselors and being set free so that the Word of God can do a specific thing in their life, and they can begin flourishing in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that's one of the big things, and I would encourage you, church, like, this is the thing. We want people to become comfortable talking about the things that are keeping them in bondage. Uh, we know that freedom only comes when these things are brought to the light and they're, and, and they're exposed. And so uh, we want to do everything that we can through our freedom prayer ministry. 
uh, which is kind of a, a, a combination of counseling, if you will, uh, and spirit-directed prayer. I don't know how to describe that because it's very, very unique and not a thing that you've probably ever experienced. But through our Freedom Prayer Ministry, people are talking about stuff in our small groups and our life groups and things of that nature. And there just seems to be this holy discontent that's been stirring um, in our church body over the course of this past year where people are becoming very discontent with the things that we've become accustomed to in our sinful lives. And we're desiring to be set free. And so as a church body, we want to come alongside and we want to keep encouraging that kind of a thing. And we want to keep helping you get the resources, the people, uh, the safe environments where things can be brought to the light and you can walk in the freedom which God has created you to walk in right there. So those are some big things right there. We've been investing a lot in missions recently. Uh, You've heard us talk about this transition as we brought Jeff Mousa in as our executive pastor. Brian has been able to been freed up a lot more to focus on our mission strategies and our adult discipleship. Um, And so this past year, starting in January, we were spending a lot of effort on uh, mobilization of the church body internationally and locally uh, all around our immediate community. Uh, You've been hearing us talk a lot about Guatemala. We've been trying to find some strategic partners that we can come together with and uh, that'll help us send people all around the world in mission trips that are that are good and, and, and in line with our desires and that kind of thing. And so Guatemala is a big part of that. Uh, we had our first launch trip this past year. We've got two more planned this next year. We've got one for Bangladesh. Uh, we've been sending teams out to South Dallas. And uh, church, I'm going to tell you on September the 29th at 6.30 p.m. I said the wrong time in the first service. It is 6.30 p.m. It is not immediate after church. We're going to be doing a missions meeting here at the church body. And uh, that is an opportunity for you to hear about all the different ways you can engage uh, in outreach locally and all around the world. And so I want to invite you to come out to that. You can hear about some of those endeavors right there. Um, Locally, things are still moving and grooving around here too. Um, You hear us talk about Kids Beach Club and people, you guys come in and you're like, well, what the crud's a big kids beach club? I mean, we don't even have beaches. We're in Dallas, Texas, right? And so you're kind of going, what is that? You can think um, kids beach club is sort of like a young life or a youth group gathering that takes place in elementary public schools that are immediately surrounding us. So I want you to think about this. The public schools have allowed us to come in there on Friday afternoons when school is finished and to essentially host a youth group gathering for elementary students whereby we do a full-blown worship service with kids-oriented praise and worship music, uh, Bible study teaching, and, um, and then they do small group time with relevant crafts and that kind of thing. And we get to go into schools and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are welcoming us in here to do that. So, church, just to say, like, that is an enormous, enormous, enormous um, opportunity that you and I have. They're welcoming us in there. We love our church. We love our surrounding community. We want to invest in the schools and as much as we are invited in these places. And uh, so part of this is that we have moved from supporting two schools, and now we're in four schools in our community. Um, And so it is now Brentfield, Bowie Elementary, Mohawk Elementary, and Prestonwood all of our surrounding places. And I'm going to remind you, church, we talk about this in our vision, that we want to be a church that is, uh, we want to be a multiplying mission-minded family that is marked by God's grace, that brings joy to our community, joy to our city, and glory to God at the exact same time. We exist for the joy and for the good of our church. And so we hope that 20 years from now, there are going to be people in the community that are going to sit there and say, hey, you know what? We've never aligned theologically with who they think their God is and that kind of a thing. Nevertheless, they say that he is a God of love, and we've never been able to deny the love that they have had for all of us. We are glad that Dallas Bible Church is here in our community because their presence and the way that they love us testifies to what they believe is actually true. We hope and pray we are for the good of our community. So we're going to keep investing in things like Beach Club all around our community. 
Um, our food pantry is another one. You've heard us talk a lot about that, and you're kind of sitting here going, okay, this is a middle class, upper middle class area. Uh, what are, are there really, really food needs? Yes, there are massive needs in our immediate surrounding area. Uh, we used to serve about 20, 20 families a month through our food pantry, which is right here on our, on our property. Now we're serving between 45 and 50 families every single month. Uh, when we talk about doing food pantry, it's not just distribution of food and goods. We have teams of people that are there that are praying for people and for families, developing relationships with them so that we can have an impact in their lives long term. Fun story. There was a person recently that came through this past year, and they have moved out. They used to receive support from our food pantry. They moved out. And they live uh, way across town now. They came by with a, a giant box of supplies. And they say, for over a year and a half, uh, your ministry supported me and my family. We are, on, we are on good terms now. God has provided for us. We've moved away. We're self-sufficient in a lot of ways. We wanted to come back and give back. They didn't attend church here. And they were just blessed by that thing. So don't overlook what's going on right there. Those ladies who are over there in our food pantry, they developed an ESL ministry because there's a large immigrant community all around us right here. We love the immigrant community here. We serve them and uh, we come alongside them. And so they've developed these ESL classes that are going to help them integrate into culture a little bit better around here and developing these relationships and stuff. And so it's a fantastic opportunity. And that's another place that we've seen um, a lot of growth. Um, Circle One is our after-school kids program for apartment complexes right around here. Um, that has doubled in size in the past year. I think Ellie sent out this awesome email this past week. It was like we had about 40 kids sign up from the apartment complexes right there for every Thursday to come for this after-school program. We, again, get to invest in their lives and invest in our a community around us. Uh, again, all for the praise and for the glory uh, of God. And so there's a lot of great things that are taking place all around us, and uh, we are excited about those things. Um, You've heard about men's and women's ministry. Facilities improvements. Facilities are facilities. Every now and then they need to be updated and improved so that they can stand the test of time. Uh, we've done a few cosmetic things. You've seen the fireside room over there. Uh, I think it opens up and gives a lot more space to us. Um, and hopefully it'll be a, a really warm and engaging place for a lot of people to connect right there. Okay, I want to talk about what's next. This is the thing that really gets me excited about because you can't tell I'm excited yet. Um, um, the, what's next? And so if you're here in January, you heard me talk about, okay, what's next now that we're a debt-free church? This is a big thing that was looming over us for a really long time. Uh, God provided, and it's kind of like, okay, what are, we, what are we moving into next? We talked about a few things. Um, the first one we talked about was church planting, and specifically a church planting residency program. Um, specifically, we talked about a local Spanish church plant that will operate from within our church body and eventually be sent out over time. Um, I'm really excited to just announce we're, we're looking for that person now this semester. Uh, we are hoping for that Hispanic church planter uh, to be hired and kind of get things going in the spring of 2020 and, uh, and to be able to integrate into these surrounding communities into a lot of uh, the Spanish-speaking opportunities are right here. There's not a strong evangelical presence, presence in uh, Spanish-speaking communities immediately around us. And uh, we want to serve them. We want to love them. We want to strengthen those relationships with ESL, food pantry, um, Circle One, and some of these other things that we already have going on. And so we're going to be hiring that person and investing in that ministry quite a bit. Some of you have been going, what in the world am I supposed to do with my Spanish skills? That's what you're supposed to do with your Spanish skills. You've been wondering why you took those classes in high school forever ago, and that's why, right? And so um, that's going to be coming up. 
uh, that's not going to be the only endeavor we go after. That's just going to be the first endeavor that we go after. Again, we want to become a multiplying, mission-minded family. We want to multiply this gathering. If their space ever becomes a massive issue, we want to be able to send people out this door to be able to go plant new churches. Maybe that's locally. I don't know. But maybe it's all around the world. And we want to send people out there uh, to be able to do that thing well. So church planning is a big part of that. Um, number two is this mission-integrated preschool. And we talked about that last year. I'm also kind of putting slash MDO, Mother's Day Out program. Many of you guys know we have a Spanish schoolhouse that uses our facilities here uh, throughout the week. Uh, we want to be a church that's, very, that's, that's a good steward of the resources that God has given to us. We don't want this place to be empty throughout the week and just come on Sundays. And it, it is not at all. Um, but Spanish schoolhouse and this preschool is a large part of that. Uh, they are going to be moving. They're supposed to move. This semester, they're going to be moving somewhere around Christmas time now, Spanish Schoolhouse, that is. And so we are hoping by fall of 2020, we will be able to develop our own, I'm calling it a mission-integrated preschool initiative. Uh, it will launch much more like a Mother's Day Out program because there's a lot of formalities and stuff and momentum that needs to build before it ever becomes anything formal like a preschool. And so we're going to be building uh, kind of like this Mother's Day Out program. Uh, mothers, how many of you have been out there and, you're, and you've been out there, even dads, I should be, just say Parents Day Out, right? Um, have been blessed by the fact that you've had somewhere to take your kids on these times, right? You know, you know, you know, there's a, this whole area around us is flooded with families, young families, and this is another opportunity that we can engage our community and serve them really, really well. So that's coming uh, uh, fall 2020. Um, facilities, we're always going to keep an eye on facilities. Uh, we're not, we are, our hope is not, not ever go back into that same debt problem that we had in the past. We're going to be saving, being smart about that. Uh, in the spring, we're going to be bringing in uh, a team that's going to do a thorough assessment of architecture and all, whatever all the, the words are here to figure out what we have here in our building and facilities to know how to use it efficiently and, efficient and, and really, really well long term. And so we're going to do an assessment, figure out what to do with the student building over there, which is an awesome, awesome building. But you start tinkering on a little bit of thing, you got to get everything up to code, and it becomes a massive, massive issue over there. So we're going to be looking at those things, which really aren't that exciting to talk about. So um, <laughs> here's the thing that is exciting to talk about, because I'm still not excited yet. Okay, um, the thing I get excited about is mobilization. And I'm putting a few things underneath this category here. And so again, this whole past year, our desire is to see this church understand that you have all been called into the mission of God. Not only to press into the Lord Jesus Christ, we've always said that the gospel has always got this uh, rubber band effect whereby you draw into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You enjoy that fellowship and then boom, he immediately propels you right back out into the world on mission, on purpose, for his praise and for his glory. Our desire is to, is, is to see an entire church body understand it's not just the professional ministers, but everyone has been called to engage the mission of God at your workplace, on your street, in your families, with your friends, no matter where it is you find your life. And so we want to mobilize people and keep sending people out there and thinking missional thoughts, understanding how to encourage, how to love in such a way that is going to bring glory to Jesus Christ's name in this particular uh, dynamic right in front of my face. One of the things that we're going to be doing is I'm just calling them community group grants uh, or community engagement grants. So one of the things that you've seen the generosity, we've invested more heavily into missionaries this past year to some of our local outreach efforts. We've invested in some of the strate strategies that staff has agreed upon. And part of that is we wanna, we've separated $75,000 that we want to put into your hands. And we want to invite you through your life groups, through your church, your DBC recognized small groups and stuff, 
to engage in the process and to prayerfully discern how God may want to use you and your group with this grant in a missional capacity for the, for the joy of our city and for the glory of God's name. So here was the contrast. We could have sat in a room and said, hey, I've got these great ideas. We need to invest in these things over here. And we could have done it in isolation. Or we can empower nearly 70 to 80% of our church body in the missional process to say, hey, we want your groups to set aside and to get away together and to go through the process of prayerfully discerning how would the Holy Spirit lead us to engage God's mission in such a way that is for the joy of the city and for the glory of God at the exact same time. And my thought is, hey, I would much rather have, number one, staff, we already do that with all of our different things over here. We want to bring in the rest of the church body and say, you've got opportunity over here. And so we're offering grants of anything between 100 bucks to, uh, I think it could be, I forgot what the final number we came up with. I think it's something like $2,500 or $5,000 or something like that. And again, these are going to be for DBC-recognized small groups, meaning by the way, we've got about 70% of our church body that's engaged in a life group on Sunday, uh, Sunday mornings. The Sunday morning attendance, about 70% of our attendance is engaged in a life group. You add men's and women's groups, that number gets between probably about 85 to 90% of our church body. You're involved in some sort of a group. And so we want everybody prayerfully discerning and going through that process and figuring out, okay, what are these things that we're already engaged in? We've got relational capacities there. Uh, we've got long-term relational opportunity taking place there. Uh, how does God want to help to use us in this, this grant to, uh, to bless our community? Um, our goal tra community is community transformation. We want this community to know DBC is for them. We love them, uh, and we want them, we, want to, we want them to understand uh, who we are and that we serve a God who loves them and cares about them and wants them to draw back into relationship with him. Uh, we want to mobilize you guys to be a part of that process. I think it's a much bigger win to see so many people prayerfully discerning that together as a group and for entire groups to go after that. We want youth groups doing it too. We want children's groups doing this too to go through the entire process right there. Um, we've got a group leader training on September the 8th. That's going to be 6.30 p.m. Um, so uh, September the 8th, 6.30 p.m. That's going to be Sunday night. Uh, if you are a group leader, men's, women's, life group leader, anything like that, please come. We're going to be talking through this in detail. Uh, we've also put the details up on our website, dallasbible.org backslash grant. There are a lot of questions we've obviously got. We've got parameters in place. Uh, we've got a team in place of lay people, staff, and elders and stuff. They're going to be evaluating applications and trying to figure out, okay, how much do we want to invest in each of these different projects and things of that nature, too. Uh, we're asking that all applications be kind of submitted by November the 1st. So it's going to give you a good two months to kind of go through this process and to be praying and thinking and to come up with your idea. And, um, and then the hope you'll have the entire year. Some of your ideas may be, hey, our group wants to go and do this work. Others, it may be like we want to invest in this nonprofit ministry that's doing fantastic work that's often overlooked. It may be things of that nature. Um, and so you've got the rest of the year to kind of implement that. On December the 1st, that's going to be our Thanksgiving Sunday because that's a Sunday right after Thanksgiving. Um, we come together and use that time to share stories and testimonies of encouragement. And so part of this process is we are asking small groups to be able to tell the story of what God has led them into. Uh, we want testimonies. We want to hear these things that our entire church body is going to be built up and edified. And so that's going to be sharing things through social media. We're going to have a videographer available to share the story if, it's a, if, there, if a video would be relevant to helping that. And we're going to use some of those testimonies and, and personal testimonies on that Thanksgiving Sunday to be able to celebrate together what God is doing in our community and what he's doing here uh, together at the church. And so 
Um, anyway, that's coming up here very, very soon. Um, the one after that is going to be our Sunday serve day. That's going to be Sunday, March the 29th. And I'm pumped about this because we're going to be doing church a little bit different that day. Um, instead of having two major services that day, we're going to have one shortened, abbreviated, very, very casual service uh, where we come together. And then we're going to be sending people out into the community with already organized service projects for that day with community partners and probably even some of the different things that some of your groups already identified in the whole grant process and things of that nature. And so um, we'll have a celebration, breakfast. Um, people that are not as mobile will have projects up here for you to do. But again, this is going to be a sending day to go into the community and, uh, and work on legitimate, tangible needs in our church community. And so uh, really, really excited. We've never done this one before. Uh, that's going to be Sunday, serve day, Sunday, the March uh, the 29th. Uh, and so all of that leads us into kind of what I'm going to get us into this next semester. Um, the place that I think that God is going to be leading us into this next semester, we're about to start a brand new series today called Praying Through the Songs. If you've been coming for the past few weeks, you've heard me talk about this, but our conviction here at Dallas Bible Church is that prayer is the means by which the Spirit of God is unleashed in this world. Anybody else believe that with me? We absolutely believe this. It is not our, uh, it is not our effective strategies. It is not our uh, human wisdom. It is not our uh, creativity or our personality or any of these things. If we want to see a move of God, then you and I have got to be a people that pray, not just collectively here at the church body, but in your families, in your personal private life at home, um, with your kids, with your friends, with your life group. We need to be a church that is comfortable on our knees, interceding on the behalf of other people and praying that God would come and do through his Holy Spirit what we cannot do in and of ourselves. We are in a spiritual battle and we need the Holy Spirit to come and to bring fire and power into the things we are praying for him to do. Um, this past week I was reading E.M. Bounds a little bit and I thought it was really funny because evidently Matt Chandler was reading some of the same things and God is leading the village to do very similar things too right there, but um, here's what Ian Bounds said, because Matt quoted the same thing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. So here's what he says. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better methods, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, people of prayer, a church that is mighty and mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit doesn't flow through methods, but through people, and he doesn't anoint plans, but men and women who are fully committed to pray. I think it was uh, Tozer that was talking about the world has never, ever, ever seen a revival that did not first begin with prayer. And so we are going to walk in that together as a church body. And I'm, every single week, I'm going to be calling you to pray in different ways as we move through the Psalms together. And so we're not looking primarily at um, the prayers within the Psalms. We're going to be learning as a church body how to pray the Word of God in accordance with the things that he's already said are true and in accordance with the things that he's already acknowledged are his will. And so we're going to be learning to pray together um, through God's word as we come about it in the Psalms. And so um, I've got a little bit of time left here today, so we're going to jump into it right now. Psalm 1 is where I want to start us here today. And all I want to do is just lay this foundation for what we're about to really, really get into here uh, this semester. So um, if you're new to the Psalms, you're kind of looking at this going, I don't know what the Psalms are or something like that. Like, all they are is a collection of divinely inspired uh, Hebrew songs and wisdom literature uh, that we're going to get into today. So technically, this is wisdom literature. It's going to read a lot more like a prayer journal uh, or, a song, uh, or a song journal or something like that. Most of them are going to be written by, um, by King David from, from uh, you know, King David. And so most of them are going to be written by him. Um, chapter 1, the one we're going to get into today, this is probably going to be one of the more popular ones. 
probably because the entire thing has to do with the blessing of God and then how you and I can walk in his blessing every single day. This is kind of the big thing that consumes our thoughts and minds, right? Like we love self-help. We love it when things are good for us. Uh, And the psalmist gets there immediately here in Psalm 1. Here's what he says. He says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But instead, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. That person will be blessed, he says, like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. It will be fruitful in season. Its leaves will not wither away, and whatever they do, they'll prosper. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of, of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It's a pretty clear contrast between the blessed and the not blessed, isn't it? I mean, you, the, the wicked are like chaff, and the blessed are like a tree. Now, the wicked, they're not going to stand. They're going to be quickly blown away, but the blessed will stand season after season after season. The wicked will be quickly blown away in the wind, but the blessed have really, really strong roots that are able, able to withstand um, the seasons of change. They're firmly planted by streams of water. The wicked have no fruit, but the blessed are fruitful in season. They have leaves that will not wither away and a life that flourishes in whatever you do. I mean, church, who reads this and is like, you know what, I don't, I don't think I want to be like that tree. I mean, none of us read this and are like, I mean, everybody looks at this and is kind of going, yeah, I need to be like that tree. This is all of our prayers, right? This is the greatest felt need in our world today is that you and I would experience the favor of God, the blessing of God upon our life. It's why Joel Osteen is as popular as he is, right? Even though there's disagreement, like, it's why he's so popular, right? People, he writes books like Your Best Life Right Now and Every Day of Friday and How to Be Happy Seven Days a Week, right? He's tapped into probably the greatest felt need in our world today. Remember, anyone remember the prayer of Jabez? Remember that book is sold like billions of copies, right? And it's still selling billions of copies. All it is is a blessing, is a prayer of blessing taken from 1 Chronicles 4, 9, where Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed, right? This is what every single one of us pray as soon as our child comes out of the womb. God, would your hand of blessing be on my son? Would your hand of blessing be on my daughter? Father, would your hand of blessing be on my wife, my friends, my spouse, my, my, my family, the people that I love? God, would we have your favor? Would we have your blessing? God, would we be like that tree that is firmly planted by streams of living water so that we're going to develop strong roots that are able to withstand the seasons of time? God, would you do that kind of work inside of me? It's exactly what the psalmist is dealing with for us this morning. And so he gets into it and he says, okay, there's two keys to the blessed life as, as the Bible defines blessing. Um, he says, number one, uh, that, that you and I are going to avoid sin uh, and, and avoid temptation. And then, of course, the second key is that we're going to learn how to meditate upon God's word day and, and day night, and, and all day and all night. It's where he begins. Verse one, blesses the one who doesn't walk in the company of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the company of mockers. In other words, like what he's saying is you, you want to experience the blessing of God. Then contrary to where a lot of people think the blessing is found today, like you actually have to talk about sin. You've actually got to deal with the temptations that you face every single day. You've got to learn how to, how, to, how to confront the realities of sin going on in your life in such a way where you flee from the temptations that you face every single day. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend that it doesn't exist. You've got to hit these things straight on. You, you, you've got to run from the temptations as fast as you possibly can. That's what he's saying. Don't surround yourself with a group of people who are running from the Lord. Like, don't make that your primary fellowship, people that do not love the things of God. Don't stand with sinners and sit around with a bunch of people who openly mock the Lord. 
Instead, that's the negative what not to do. Instead, he says, delight yourself in God's word and then meditate on his word day in and day out. That's it. That's where blessing is found. So it's not just, hey, think happy thoughts. Right? It's not just uh, turn that frown upside down, Charlie Brown, and, and make your day better, right? Deny the problems and deny the sin, deny the things that you're bringing into the, to the misery that you're feeling. It, it's not any of these things. It's, it's just avoid temptation. Don't walk in the path of sin and learn how to delightfully meditate upon God's word all day and all night. So church, I just got to ask this question real quick. Like, are either of those things a regular part of your rhythms today? Because culturally, we're not a culture that's reading a whole lot of books anymore. We're reading Twitter. We're reading blogs. We're reading articles. Everything's online. There's not a whole lot of us sitting down and meditating upon God's word anymore. And avoid temptation? Are you kidding me? You say to avoid temptation today, it's almost offensive to where we are culturally. Right? Anybody with me on that? Like, that is almost offensive to say you need to flee and you need to go the opposite of how you're naturally feeling inside of you. There's a great example of this. Um, anybody remember a time way back in the day, or maybe it was a culture that you came from, where it felt like the definition of a successful Christian was in how well you were able to avoid sin? Anybody remember that? Maybe at some point, maybe you felt it at different points. Maybe uh, I was talking with Jeff Mouse about it this past week. He was reminding me um, that was kind of the background he came out of. Uh, how he went to a small Christian church or small Christian school in Pensacola, Florida, and they actually had separate beaches for the boys and for the girls in college, right? Pensacola, Florida. And you got separate beaches for the boys and girls. You don't want them like intermingling, talking, or anything like that. It's a culture, you know, who says, hey, you're together, but you can't hold hands. You can't actually communicate face to face. You got to have a mediator there the whole time. I think women had to wear like burlap sacks, like, like turtlenecks and things like that. Anybody with me on that? You, you know what I'm talking about? Like that's how it used to be. And in some circles, it used to be that the definition of a successful Christian was defined by how well you were able to define sin or avoid sin. So you were doing well if you could just not drink or if you could not go see R-rated movies or PG-13 movies, because if it's not good for a 13-year-old, it's surely not good for the saint of, the saint of God. Um, if you could just avoid that, this, that, and the other, if you could just kiss dating goodbye and call it courting instead, um, then you're okay. It's not really the case today, is it? I mean, it seems like there's been a massive shift that's kind of gone on where we've kind of flipped to the other extreme where the definition of a successful Christian um, has nothing or has, has something to do with a generic understanding of love and really nothing to do with avoiding sin at all. There's a great example of this. And if you've, anybody watching, I won't make you raise your hand here um, unless you really want to and want to be shamed. How many are watching the current season of Bachelorette? You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't watch this uh, very much, but it's all over the news, and it's a very prominent story that's out there quite a bit, but evidently the Bachelorette this season is a very outspoken believer and um, who's very okay with sleeping around with all the other contestants on the show. And, of course, the whole thing is there's this duplicitous lifestyle that's going on, and she's very outspoken in her faith, yet at the same time there's not a whole lot that's aligning with that faith, and you're kind of going, okay, there's, there's tension here. Well, of course, there's a contestant at the end of the season kind of gets to the end, and and um, evidently, he's a strong believer, too, but he takes his sin seriously. And so they have this conversation and where he essentially confronts her on what's going on. And as you can imagine, it doesn't go very well. Um, he gets kicked off the show that night. And, of course, she's, she's giving him the bird as, he, as he's driving off and everything. And just like, like, how dare you, hypocrite? How dare you judge me? 
And these are some of the things that she's saying. How dare you judge me? Like, Jesus loves me anyway. Jesus loves me no matter what I do. Jesus loves me all these different kinds of things. And he's going, yeah, we've never denied that, but sin is still a very serious thing. And so the show has gotten a lot of pub because there's these debates that are going on. Well, evidently, the conversations continued after the show because there's Twitter and social media and everything else. And so um, the guy, they've been tweeting back and forth. And if you've seen some of these things, like you've seen a lot of the interesting dialogue and all the comments that follow. Luke writes to her and says, here's the difference. The difference is in how we view sin. It's that I'm weeping about mine and you're laughing at yours. All sin stings and it grieves the heart of God. And so my heart hurts for both of us. And she tweets back time and time again, Jesus loved and ate with sinners who laughed like I laugh about my own sin. And time and time again, he rebuked the saints that judged the sinners. Where do you fall, Luke? And you can kind of hear the implications like, burn, just got you, ha <laughs> ha. Church, let me ask you, like, who do you think that the public sided with? Yeah. Like the self-righteous, judgmental Christian who's taking sin seriously, trying not to give in to it, trying to run from it at all costs, or the enlightened one who's just simply being true to herself. Church, point of the matter is, like, we've swung to the other extreme. We've taken pride in the fact that we're not even trying to avoid sin anymore. Like, I mean, we've got pastors and we've got preachers and entire church movements that will not even speak about sin today. I mean, we've got simply people saying, hey, there's a blessed life over here, and it has nothing to do with repentance, has nothing to do with running from sin, has nothing to do with avoiding it altogether. And what the psalmist is saying right here is those two things go hand in hand. The blessing of God comes in when there's a seriousness, a serious attitude taken towards the sin that we walk in every single day. Like Hebrews is going to say things like, no, like don't keep sin confined. He's going to say, let us encourage one another day after day so that none of us are going to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, church, like that's how sin operates. You may not always be able to see the bad fruit of sin, but it is having a numbing effect on your soul. It is hardening you to the things of God to the point you don't even care to repent. You don't even care to open up God's word and meditate on it anymore. You don't understand the truth, and we're far away from God, and we've got no idea how in the world we got there. Church, like how in the world are we going to be set free from the bondage of our sin if we're not willing to talk about it or address it? How in the world is he going to set us free from the numbing, dull lives that we're walking in and we're so content with if we never, ever address it or call people to repent or avoid it or run from it or any of these other kinds of things? I mean, it's why Jesus teaches us to pray, lead me not into temptation, God, but deliver me from evil. In other words, like he's inviting every single one of us long before you ever get to the place of no return. Long before you ever get to that place where you can't hold on any longer and avoid sin, long before that takes place, you can pray to the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lead me not into temptation today, but deliver me from evil right now while I'm not even being tempted. And the church, like, how much pain and baggage would you have been spared up from in your life if you've been praying that prayer every single day? God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Father, like, I'm headed out with new friends tonight. I've got no idea what they think is fun, but God, would you lead me not into temptation, but God, would you deliver me from evil? Father, I'm going on that work trip again, and you know how my clients like to be entertained, and you know what's normative in my industry, and you know what my bosses expect of me, but Father, would you lead me not into temptation, and God, would you deliver me from evil right now? Would you give me this out? Father, like, you know what it's like when I'm, a, when I'm alone in the hotel room at night. There's no one else around me. My spouse isn't there. The kids aren't there. My accountability's not here. There's no one else that'll ever know what takes place, Father. Would you lead me not into temptation, but would you deliver me from evil right now? God, you know what it's like with my flirty coworker, my flirty neighbor. You know what's being stirred up in my soul 
when I see them. God, would you lead me not into temptation, but would you deliver me from evil right now? God, you know the triggers that are at home, that somehow there's something that's taking place and there's rage that comes up as a result of these triggers, God. And I know that's gonna come up. And God, would you lead me not into temptation? Would you deliver me from evil right now? Church, it's how Jesus teaches us to pray. In other words, long before you get to the point of no return, he's saying he wants to do a work inside of you where you are strengthened, where you are strong, where you are formidable. You are like that tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. No matter the storms that may come, you are gonna be fruitful in season over and over and over again. Church is how he teaches us to pray. And what the psalmist is saying is, there is no blessed life apart from avoiding sin and temptation. You've gotta flee from it, you've gotta run from it. You gotta take it seriously, right? We, we, haven't, we haven't graduated from the elementary beliefs of our parents and our grandparents. People that took it seriously. And maybe went a little far in some places, but we don't graduate from that. And what he's saying is, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the company of mockers. And the good news is, he says, but instead, like they delight in the word of God and they meditate on his word day and night. Church, let me ask you this. Like, is delight a word that you would ever use to describe your experience with God's word? Thinking of some people I talked with not long ago, and they told me that all growing up, whenever they got in trouble, their punishment was that they had to go read Bible verses in the room alone. Like, is delight a word that you would ever use to describe your experience with God's word? I mean, delight is that thing that you feel when you're with someone who's captured the totality of your affections. Right? Delight is that thing when you're sitting there going, like, I'm taking joy in the presence of this person over here. It's the feeling that you experience when you met your spouse, you had that first date with that person that was so awesome and, and electricity was flying and stuff like that. I'm gonna never forget my first date with Kat. We were at Cheesecake Factory back in the college days, had absolutely no money, so I had to get creative. We split one piece of cheesecake. And um, I'm not kidding you, we, we sat there for probably four hours one night. Felt terrible for the waiter. It was like $7 tab and four hours sitting at a table. Just sat there enjoying the presence enjoying this opportunity, delighting in one another. Like the psalmist is gonna say, I call to remembrance my song and night. I will meditate with my heart as my spirit makes a diligent search. Like church, like that's what meditation is. It is a diligent search to know more deeply the one in whom my soul delights. That's what he's talking about. It's a diligent search. It's a, I'm not just gonna read it and be done with it and just never come back. I'm gonna come to it over and over and over and over again because I'm diligently searching to know the one in whom my soul delights. That's what we are doing when we are coming before his word and we are choosing to meditate on it and to think on it and to dwell on it all day and all night and to bring it to remembrance over and over and over and over again. I mean, I, I was told not to share this illustration. I just like it. It's kind of like a cow when they chew the cud. I think that's what it's called, right? You know this, they recall their food. I didn't know cows could do this. And we think it's kind of gross, but I guess it kind of depends on what you had for dinner that day. But I, they can bring it back up. And a cow will bring it back up and they'll chew on it a little bit later that afternoon and then they'll swallow it. And I guess later that night, they're like, you know what, that ride was pretty awesome. I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> and they're gonna bring it back up and hmm, that was delicious. And they're gonna chew on it more and more and more and more. And the reason that they do that is because they wanna make sure that they get every bit of nutrients out of that meal that they possibly can. Church, is exactly what he's talking about right here. It's, that's what meditation is. And so like, I just gotta ask you, church, has delightful meditation ever been your experience with God's word? 
Because the psalmist is saying that it's not just it's not just the blessing that the enemy wants to keep us from, but he actually wants to steal, kill, and destroy and lead you down this path of destruction. It's the way of the wicked. It leads to destruction. That's why Paul in the New Testament is going to say, no, 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 we're in a war. Make no mistake, we're not on neutral ground. We're not just flying through the world and like there's nothing going on. We're actually in a battle. We're in a war, and it's a spiritual war. It's why he says, praise God in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He's going to say, praise God that the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish the strongholds in your life. So he says, that's what we do. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every single thought captive to make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, in other words, the enemy understands that if he could just capture your mind, and he could just keep you from meditating on God's word day in and day out that you won't know up from down. He knows that you won't know the God who brings you life. He knows that you will be fully and completely detached from the power of the Holy Spirit wanting to work in and through your life. And if he could just separate you from meditating on his word day in and day out, he will produce these strongholds in your life that will cripple you from ever experiencing the fullness of his blessing, which he has called you to walk in every single day. I mean, that's what a stronghold is, right? I mean, he defines it right there. He says, it is every argument and it is every pretense, every lie that we believe that keeps us in chains rather than freely walking with him. Church, are, do, do we ever believe the lies of the enemy? Have we ever been so captured by these things that if we want to escape, we want to be set free, and we cannot be set free? I love the way Beth Moore talks about them. She says, they are things that steal our focus, strongholds are. They steal our focus and they cause us to feel overpowered, controlled, mastered, and powerless rather than blessed by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the porn addiction that's been killing you for years, destroying your marriage from the inside out, hardening you not only to the things of God, but hardening you to your spouse to the point where you thought that you were going to love them forever and ever and ever, and now they just get on your nerves all the time. Church, it's the Meanwhile, right, like scientists are looking at these things and they're saying, hey, you know what? We're seeing these neuro pathways develop in your mind. You can actually observe them. You can see them. Every time you go down the path of this addiction, like there's a new neuro pathway, just, it just strengthens and strengthens and strengthens, which makes it easier to come back to over and over again. In other words, physically we're able to see what's spiritually going on in our brain, how the enemy is winning this war over and over again. Physically we are seeing these strongholds take place in our mind that we are desperate to be set free from. Church, it's the shame that we walk in every single day that keeps us from understanding who we actually are, that makes us believe things like, you know what, I'm defined by that thing that I've done, the ways that I've failed in the past. It's shame that, that keeps us from coming and receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, admitting our faults bef before the people that we love, seeing reconciliation in our broken relationships. Like that, it's exact, that's a stronghold. It's, it's the anger and rage that we keep coming back to, and we don't know what keeps triggering it. We want to be set free of it. But like something happened when we were young, and it just keeps coming up. And every time it just comes up in my present day, there's a trigger that takes place. And like I don't know what happens. I just snap. It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold right there. It's the fear that rules your life and keeps you from taking new steps of faith that the Holy Spirit has asked you to walk in. It's the despair that you're not able to climb out of. It's the narcissistic pride that you can't see about yourself that everyone else around you is able to see because they're feeling it every day because you're numb to their affections because your entire world is all centered around you. It's the self-righteousness that we keep walking in because we've never been able to receive God's grace and to be able to admit, I don't have it all figured out. I can't accomplish righteousness in and of my own self. I need the love and the grace and the mercy and the healing of a Savior who came and did it all for me. They're strongholds. She continues and she says, whatever the stronghold may be, 
It consumes so much of our mental and emotional energy that the abundant life is strangled. The blessings of God is strangled. Our, our callings remain largely unfulfilled and our believing lives are virtually ineffective because strongholds have crept in and assumed much more power in our lives than the truth of God's word. Church, is why Paul says we're in a war. And it's not a war like we experience physically and naturally here in this world. It's a spiritual battle going on whereby the enemy understands that if he can just control your mind and keep you from meditating on the truths and the realities and the power of God's word, then he can develop these strongholds in your life that will keep you crippled from here on out and keep you from ever experiencing the fullness of his blessing that he wants to bless you with every single day. And the good news of what Paul says and the good news of what the Psalms say is that he has given us weapons at our disposal so that we do not have to lose that war. I mean, so it's not just these two independent things, like prayerful meditation with the psalm. Jesus is saying this prayerful meditation upon God's word. Like, it is the weapon by which we are able to see these strongholds in our lives destroyed. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember when he's talking about the armor of God, and he says, put on the armor of God. Here's what the Holy Spirit's given you at his disposal. Do battle with the enemy well. And he describes all these defensive measures, things like uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, all these defensive pieces of the weaponry. And then he says, here are the two offensive pieces that you have at your disposal. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, do what with it? Pray. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Five times in the next three verses, he says, pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given to me that I'll be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Church, that is where the power lies. That is where the power lies. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, combined with praying in the Holy Spirit. It is meditating on verse 2 of Psalm chapter 1 and going, Lord, I agree there is no life in my sin. I agree that there is no life in the things that I've become so accustomed to over and over and over again in my life. I agree that my sin is, is destructive before you and it is assault to your holiness. I agree with what you're saying in the word of God. So I'm asking you right now, would you forgive me and would you lead me not into temptation, but would you deliver me from evil right now to this day? Long before I ever get to the point of no return, would you come and would you do that? It's looking at verse three and saying, Father, my confession is I don't delight in your word. I don't have that kind of a joy. My heart's not right there. I've become so numb in my affections to you. I have no joy. It is not a delight to meditate on your word over and over again. But Father, I recognize that that's where blessing is found and that's what you've called me into. So Father, would you do a work inside of me that brings about the joy that I so read about in scripture. And God, if you, even, even, even if it doesn't take place tomorrow, I'm gonna be there tomorrow. And if it's not the next day, I'm gonna be there the next day. And I'm going to keep coming back and meditating on your word until, God, you produce the emotions, the feelings that I know are already true. It's looking at verse 4 and saying, God, would you make me like that tree that is firmly planted by streams of living water, strong roots able to withstand the seasons of change and beautiful leaves and fruitful season after season after season until the day that I die. Church, that's how strongholds get destroyed. You combine the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, with praying in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and seeing strongholds get demolished. That's why the psalmist says, don't just read the word of God once and be done with it. He says, delight in it, take joy in it, meditate on God's word over and over and over again. Let it be recalled in your mind later on in the day. Chew on it all day and all night. And as you do, lift those truths up to the, to the Father through the Holy Spirit in prayer. 
so that you can actually be free. Church, the conviction of this semester is that blessing is out there. Not in the way Joel talks about it and stuff like that, but blessing is absolutely out there. He is a good and holy God who is not far away. He loves to give good gifts to the children that he loves. And even more than that, he wants to see you set free from the strongholds that we have become accustomed to. All throughout July, there's an image that I've been holding on to that I think that God kind of used to solidify, I think, where he wants to take us as a church this next year. Um, how many of you guys got destroyed by the, the storm that hit in June, right? Trees down in your yard kind of made a giant mess. Uh, I lost both of my giant trees in the front yard, and so I used to have a, all this shade. I've got nothing there. I had two giant holes now. And so I remember when that thing took place, uh, I'm driving down the street a few, to, you know, a week or two afterwards, sometime early in July, just looking at all the destruction everywhere. Like, you drive down my street, and there's just dead trees lining the street. That's the front of my house, by the way. Um, you can't even see my house because it's so piled up with dead trees and things of that nature. I remember driving through the street in July as I'm, again, getting away to pray about this semester, and it just felt like as clear as I could hear from the Holy Spirit, it was just like, that's exactly what I want to do in you and in this church. I want to uproot the old dead trees that are there. And I want to come about and I want to plant brand new life. Remember when they were coming and cleaning up all the shrubbery, um, I went out there, I was taking a look at some of those trees. And one of the trees that was there providing all this shade, I looked into it and the entire trunk was hollow. Like the entire trunk, like it was black, it was dead, it was rotten. I never knew it looking at it for a long time. It was completely dead. They came and finally got rid of all the stuff, and, and then all of a sudden, like, half my yard is, is dead grass now, and so called the grass guys, they came, and we got to plant some new grass here, and um, they come with these little tillers, right? You can't plant new grass on old dead grass. And so they take the tillers, and they come, and they just tilled the front yard, and they just churned it all up, they broke it all up, and they threw it all away, and they came and they planted brand new grass. And I think that some of you already know that's exactly what God's been doing in your life. I think you've felt the tillers. I think you've felt the storms. I think you've felt the snapping. I think you've felt the rot inside. And I think what the Holy Spirit is saying, that this is going to be a season where you're set free. Where the old dead roots that we've become accustomed to are going to be dug up. They're going to be tossed out. And they're going to be replanting brand new life in this next season. July 27th, they came and delivered my brand new red oak. Caleb and I are out there in the front yard, and they say, whatever you do, don't let this tree go a day without watering, like 40 to 50 gallon, gallons of watering. So every day, Caleb and I are out there, and we're just soaking the base of that tree because we know that for that tree to live, it has to be deeply connected to the streams of living water that the psalmist is talking about in chapter 1. Caleb came to faith at the end of July. Got him a new Bible. Got him his little Bible, and we came out there. We're out there watering the tree one day. And I'm meditating on this psalm, and we open it up. And we read Psalm 1 together. And I said, buddy, my prayer for you is that you're going to be like this tree that is firmly planted by streams of living water. And the living water is Jesus, and that you're going to be connected to him all the days of your life that you'll have leaves that don't wither away, you'll have deep, strong roots that are deeply connected to him, and that you're going to be fruitful all, all of your days, no matter the storms that come in your life. 
in this beautiful time of just praying together and just talking through that. And church, it's our prayer for the church. I pray that we would be like that tree that is firmly planted by streams of living water, fruitful in season, roots that are strong.